Hello everybody and welcome to Pixel Politics the Podcast, episode three. I'm happy to be joined by Ian Hamilton, um, who works in accessibility in the video games industry. Thank you, Ian, for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. I first wanted to ask you about what your role is in the industry. Maybe you could tell the audience a bit about yourself um, and what you do. Yep, sure. Um, so I'm an accessibility specialist. That basically means that I um, help companies ensure that they aren't putting um, unnecessary barriers in place in their games that can lock out um, people with disabilities or to just give them a poor experience while they're playing. Okay, so what does that kind of entail? Do you, do you go and talk to the developers themselves and trying to suggest methods and solutions they could put into their games? Yeah, all kinds of stuff, really. Just, it, it depends entirely on what, um, what the company's needs are, what the project's needs are, um, what kind of stage of development it's at, um, what, what the culture is and what the people are like. It's really, really varied, um, which is good. I get yeah. bored easily. Definitely. And like, how does that vary between like the big, do you work on like big, like AAA games or like smaller, smaller indie titles? Does that vary between? Uh, the yeah, yeah, I've worked on everything on the whole spectrum. It's, it's probably less, less so much about the, um, the size of the company. Although if it is a bigger company, then there's more, there's, there's, there's more about kind of educating and motivating people in different disciplines and different levels of seniority and the kind of like politics and culture and stuff there isn't I mean that stuff does still exist at, at indie level but it's kind of less about that but what makes the biggest the biggest difference is, is really just what what the needs of that particular piece of work are so it could be anything from um, going in and doing a training workshop to um, helping out with the workflow and processes um, to um, doing like in-depth um, audits on like builds, um, hands-on design work, um, helping out figure out internal guidelines and stuff. So all kinds of stuff really. Just just basically, it's, it's anytime there's there's a company that knows that they've got some kind of a needs but doesn't feel they have either the time or the expertise themselves, then they'll give me a knock and see if I can help. Yeah, that makes sense and sounds super interesting. You know, one of the reasons why I want to get you on the show is because the podcast is it's it has a political focus, but it's it's supposed to kind of show how people in the community of games is impacting the game community in a positive way and you know what you're doing is fantastic and it's it's great to see it um you know in terms of accessibility you've talked about sort of uh the method you put in place and when you go into talk to the developers um are there any particular stand-up projects that you've worked on uh um, well this this is the thing with the games industry it's all very um it's all very secretive everything's under non oh, okay and that even applies after a game oh, has launched. Okay, so I don't have too much knowledge in that. So that's one. For, that's one for to note down. That's one to note down. Yeah. So um, there there are a few um, games that have, have talked about my involvement publicly. Yeah. Um, that includes um, The Last of Us Two and uh, Minecraft, Destiny Two, um, Assassin's Creed. Um, but a, a lot of them, like I said, it's 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 all strictly um, NDA'd up. Of course, and if you could talk about the Last of Us, I don't know if you can Last of Us too, but I've you know I've noticed and it's been uh, it's public that the Last of Us too, and when you play the game itself, has great accessibility options. Mm. And, and I was going to ask you, like, is that a game that a lot of other these AAA games should look at in terms of being sort of template to improve accessibility? For gamers, yeah, well, it's it's, um, it's not perfect. There's no there's yeah. no game out there that is perfect yet, but it's an important step forwards, and it's particularly important um, because because it is The Last of Us Two, and there's already historical precedent from that. Um, the the previous game they worked on, which was um, Uncharted Four, 
Uncharted 4 back in 2016, I think. Um, they launched um, with um, a whole bunch of accessibility um, features and accommodations, which if a game launched today with those kind of features, it would be pretty basic. But for 2016, it was quite groundbreaking for a AAA game to, to do something like that. And because it was such a big, high-profile game, that meant that developers um, across the industry, um, from the smallest one-man indies through to the big publishers, um, took notice, you know? There, there weren't many developers who hadn't heard of The Last of Us 2. And same with gamers as well. The, the effect it has on changing gamers' expectations of what games should be doing. So it was really influential, and um, I have no doubt, no doubt at all that we're going to see um, similar stuff happen from The Last of Us 2. So I think that's the, the most important thing about it. Um, isn't so much in the in what the game has done, um, even though there is some really really cool stuff in it. Like it's as far as I'm aware, the first um, the first AAA game that was designed from the ground up um, for both the interfaces and the gameplay to be fully accessible to people who are completely blind. Um, so it does some really cool stuff. Um, but that's the real really important thing is just the, just kind of the um, the power it has for influencing and educating other developers, and exactly as you said. Yeah, definitely. And Last of Us 2, I think, stands out in terms of setting, you know, like you said, it's not perfect, but it sets the bar in terms of what the games can do. Um, mm-hmm. Have you found that, I mean, obviously, between different titles and games, or AAA games themselves have bigger budgets than the smaller indie titles. Have you found there's sort of, um, in terms of economic and budget restrictions in terms of implementing uh, accessibility options? Is it more of a problem with um smaller titles because they've got smaller budgets or is it's it... different oh. um the, the challenges that they face are different so in a um in a smaller company it's more about resources yeah. um in a bigger company it's more about like trying to shift a huge tanker in new direction you know yeah like all the cultural and political and the number of people you have to persuade and all that kind of stuff yeah. Um, but the resources thing, really, the, the, the biggest barrier um, to the budgetary side of thing, things isn't really the size of a company, it's the stage of development at which you consider accessibility. And um, Naughty Dog were being completely open and transparent about that. They said that is their secret source for how they were able to do what they did in The Last of Us 2, was just that they thought about accessibility from the beginning. Um, so that meant that they were able to design things in an accessible way from the outset, rather than get things development, realize you've got a whole load of inaccessible stuff in there and have to go back and try and unpick and rework, which is really difficult and expensive. Um, classic example, I think, is um, text size. So if before you even make any text, you just decide, okay, I'm not going to have any tiny text in my game, that's it, the work is done. You know, It's just a decision. Um, the, the Outer Worlds, um, that game launched and um, it had really tiny text. Um, they got loads of feedback from gamers about how tiny the text was. And this is a really common issue because um, game developers don't um, don't develop games on like a big 40-inch TV 10 feet away from them. Yeah. They design it with a big fat monitor right in front of their screen. So it's, it's quite common for games to, to end up with tiny text as a result. And so they realized there's a problem. They jumped on it um, to fix it. And um, it took them two months to be able to um, change the text to be scalable. Um, so from a quick design decision to two months of solid work is, is quite a different. So that's that's the real biggie is, is thinking about accessibility early. And companies get there, it's just a bit of a journey, you know? So, so the usual route is um, like a studio quite late in development will think about accessibility for the first time, um, manage to implement one or two cool kind of things um, as happened with Uncharted 4. And then the game launches and they think, oh man, 
if any of you thought about this earlier, this we could have done so much more, we could have done so much better. Yeah. And that's that's what I always say. And, and that's exactly happened with, with Naughty Dog. When they have that realization, they were in the early stages of Uncharted Force, they're able to, to tackle it from from much earlier. And that, that's what's happening with with them companies across the board, you know. It's it's a journey. So if there's any developers watching, that's the thing, like don't be disheartened if you can't do everything. Um nobody does. It's it's not possible. It's it's it's, it's always a journey. As long as you, with each, with each, with each patch, with each release, with each new game, as long as you're doing a bit more and never going backwards, then it's inevitable that you will just get to a better and better place. Yeah, and you know, I, I think one game that definitely could have improved its accessibility was, I think, God of War, because in terms of the viewing, how you viewed it, the text is very, very small, and I remember that. And and so what you're saying is, is that um, early in development looking at these accessibility features is probably the the way developers yeah, should. That, that's a classic example. I mean, all credit to them. They, they jumped straight on it, um, again, trying to patch it. And they actually had like a, a series of patches. But um, but once your whole interface system is already designed, you're kind of locked into certain yeah. shapes and sizes and stuff. There's only so much that you can do. Um, whereas if you're designing it from the start, you can do it the other way around and actually design according to your requirements rather than the other way around. Um, but the other side of it, you, you, I kind of mentioned it was different between Indies and AAAs. Um, indies have a huge, huge advantage in that if they want to do something, um, they can just do it. You know, They might have a couple of other people to persuade, but that's it. Um, sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's one person. Um, so they have a lot of power in that, and if they decide to do something, they can just do it. And also the speed at which they can do things as well. Um, there was a, a game called, I don't know if you know it, called The Legend of Grimrock. No, which is heard of it. No. like the old, um, the old um, like square by square dungeon crawler role playing oh, okay. games yep. back in the day, and that basically like revitalized that genre. Yeah, and um, they got some. So back in the old like realm, like late eighties, early nineties, their kind of games were controlled by a mouse, and you had like a virtual cursor keys on the screen that you clicked on um, to move forward and side to side and stuff. And a gamer got in touch with this indie saying. Um, just wondering if uh, if you're going to have that control method um, because I um, use a um, mouth stick um, to push a mouse around. Like I can't use my hands. That's how I interact with technology is like yeah. pushing a mouse stick. Um, I can't use, uh, can't really use keyboards. Um, so just wondering if it's going to be in there. You know, no bother if it's not. I'll, I'll probably find some way to muddle through. And um, the developer replied um, the very same day, saying, uh, we haven't thought about that. Um, it's in the game, download the update. Like being able to have that kind of instant um, reaction to the community um, isn't something that's really possible with a big company. You know, there's no way that, um, say for example, a God of War um, could get a piece of feedback and push out an update the same day, you know? Yeah, exactly. Right, and you can see those differences. And it's interesting to look at the comparison between the big AAA and the smaller titles to, or the indie developers to see what the difference is there. Is yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of different, different various, di- different pros and cons um, yeah. to the two end scale. Um, and the indies have been at the, the forefront of innovation as well. Um, two of the games that are at the absolute top of the industry um, are Sequence Storm, which is like a rhythm racing game, and um, Eagle Island, which is a like roguelike platformer. And um, those two games um, are way up there with with Last of Us Two and um, exceeding it in some ways. And they were both made by um, solo indie developers, just just one person going away in the home, you know. Yeah. So is so there's you know like um, you mentioned that implementing strategy at the early stages in terms of accessibility of video game is probably the 
what game of game developers should do. Yeah. Um, is that universal? You know, I assume that it would be because it's probably the most effective method to put in place. Would you say it's universal which developers should put in place to improve accessibility? Or oh, you mean um, should all game developers in general should all think yes, about it early? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but there's that. Yeah, there's a lot of features where, like I said, with the tech size. Um, where if you think about it early, um, it's really, really cheap and easy. And if you think about it late, you have to unpick everything. It can be really difficult and expensive. Um, actually, a nice example of that from um, from AAA lands was um, a game called Evolve. Yeah. Uh, they came to accessibility quite late in development and started thinking about colorblindness. Um, they had already designed um, a load of their interface to depend on being able to tell colors apart for like people's abilities and, all, and the map and all that kind of stuff. Um, so the only way they were able to address it was to go back in and um, recolor um, every single one of those color-based elements into different color parts with different types of colorblindness. Um, so after the art director had been through all of that, she was just like, nope, that's not happening again. From now on, I am personally going to check every single thing that comes through yeah. and make sure it's colorblind friendly by default, you know, that it's designed with some other signifier apart from color. So we don't have to go through the effort of remaking everything an extra three times. Yeah. That's super interesting. And as part of your role, do you um, talk to sort of the big um, brands in terms of manufacturing consoles for accessibility? Or mm-hmm. not consoles, but the um, uh, the hardware that comes with it. For example, Xbox released that really nice, I can't remember the name, but really nice accessibility controller. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I worked on that. Yeah, yeah, on that. yeah it's fantastic. And um, I've heard fan- awesome feedback from in terms of the the control really improving people's lives when they play games and the, the experience for them. Um, you worked on that, like you said. Is that is it hardware? Like I, I, Xbox is probably the only console at the moment in terms of the big console manufacturers that are improving accessibility to another level. PlayStation, Nintendo, especially Nintendo Switch, isn't that accessible? I don't think. I mean, you can't change the button layouts. Would you? Um, and now they've actually patched that in. Oh, um, they actually okay. They have, yeah. So that was quite recent. Um, before that, they had another couple of features. Um, um, just fairly basic ones to start with. One to um, put the colours in grayscale and invert them as well. So that was kind of how they started along that journey. They've got the. Since then, they also included um, really nice zoom functionality and the system level remapping as well. Um, so they're getting there, but that, that was a really, really important point that was reached when um, Nintendo implemented um, those first two things, um, the color inversion and the grayscale, because that was the point, the first point in the entire history of the industry that every major gaming platform, so that's Xbox, PlayStation, um, Switch, iOS, Android, um, PC, yeah. um, all had system level accessibility functionality. Um, that, that, that never happened in the industry before. So that was a really, really important milestone to reach. Definitely. And hopefully in the future, the big brands will be able to take this and improve on it. Because like yeah. I said, the Xbox accessibility accessibility controller was, you know, it's fantastic. And, and you know, hopefully the other other brands produce similar controllers or to, to suit their devices. Yeah, well, that's, that's kind of happened. There's a, there's a third party um, controller for the... Uh, for the Nintendo Switch, um, that's very similar. It's made by Hori. Mm. Um, but what I'd what I'd be more interested in, rather than everyone developing their own kind of equivalents, is a move towards more open standards. 
because um, when in the early days of my gaming, um, playing on things like a, like a Mega Drive and an Atari ST and that kind of stuff, there was just a controller. You could unplug the controller from a Mega Drive and plug it into an Atari ST. It was fine. Yeah. Like they all had connection on the end, you know. So I'd love to get back to those kind of days where where um, I mean you can do it now, but you have to buy like expensive adapters um, to be able to do it. It'd be lovely if the platforms could be, but more open about the kind of devices they support, um, like they are elsewhere. Like if you got if you bought, for example, um, a Microsoft laptop and you weren't allowed to plug in a Sony mouse into it, you'd be pretty annoyed, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the kind of thing I'd like to get to, that, that kind of more, more, more openness and, and I guess collaboration. And I'm hoping that the way that games themselves are going can help to, help to push towards that because certainly with game development, accessibility is a topic that people are much, much more willing to be open and collaborative about. Um, the kind of of partnerships and way way companies are talking to each other and working with each other isn't something you really see outside of accessibility. It's nice to see as the topic that can get people to kind of step it outside those those traditional boundaries. So you're talking about more sort of like a standardised controller. That would be usable. Just open standards. I mean, it's the way, the methods by which they actually connect to the hardware um, are pretty similar. You can all plug in a USB or, um, or... Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, depending on which platform it is. But it's all pretty standard stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just a, it's just a conscious decision on the platform makers about which devices they're going to allow to connect and which they aren't. You know. Well, there's a little bit more to it than that, but uh, basic level, you know. Yeah, but it it offers a you know a good sort of foundation for the console manufacturers and platform developers to collaborate, as you said, because you know at least in the last five to 10 years, that hasn't really happened that much. And you're only starting to see it. And you could use these third party manufacturers to kind of help to unify this and create like a standard accessibility controller. And that's super interesting and, and would do great things. I, I completely agree. It would be- Well, even even not a single standard controller, just, yeah. just any, any controller on anything. You know, different people have got different needs. There'll always be a need for, for people to have their own custom devices. And and people quite often will, will have that, you know, they'll, they'll spend um, spend a couple of hundred pounds on having an Xbox controller modified, for example, to like yeah. move the sticks to the underside so they can use one hand and push that stick against their leg, that kind of thing. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great to take their expensive custom controller and plug it into their PlayStation and keep using it on that, you know? Definitely. And so I wanted to ask you, um, do you sort of, in terms of the political side, are you involved in any kind of lobbying for change in terms of uh, for, uh, lobbying the government or organisations to try and improve accessibility options in the entertainment industry? Um, yes. So so organisations, yes. Um, governments to a lesser extent. So I have been involved with some government funding bodies, um, which I think is more the route to go. It's a bit tricky with legislation because um, it's, it's not like other industries where you can just have a fixed bar of this is what equates to like a reasonable level of accommodation that everything yeah. should be expected to hit. You can do that with a building, you can do that with a website. Um, you can't really do it so much with games because um, a game by definition has to have some level of inaccessibility in it. Because um, to have no inaccessibility would have to have no kind of barriers in it, no challenge, at which point it's no longer a game. It's like a narrative or a toy, you know? Um, so it's difficult to have. There, there aren't very many things that could reasonably apply across most games. 
Um, there are a couple um, things like subtitles and things like like not having tiny text. Um, but 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 for most things, you'll find some game somewhere where its mechanic is entirely dependent on that, you know, which is totally fine. Um, so so in terms of like I said, government legislation and stuff, um, it's a bit tricky. Um, but things like I said, those funding bodies. Um, there's a really nice example in um, Australia. There's um, a funding body called Film Victoria, which is a government funding body that funds development of um, media in general. And um, they got to thinking, they were thinking, okay, well, we fund all kinds of media like TV and, and film and stuff. And if somebody's applying for a grant to make a film or a TV program, um, we say you're not allowed to have your grant unless you're subtitling it. Um, why don't we do something similar for games? Um, so they did. They did it in quite a soft way. They just said, um, as part of the application form for your funding, um, um, here's a few boxes for some common accessibility considerations. Um, tick the ones that you're doing. Um, here's another box for you to fill in if there's any other stuff you're doing in addition to that. Um, if you're not doing any of these things, here's another box. Explain to us why you're not thinking about accessibility. So it's not even compulsory for you, yeah. to, for you to do it, but just the way they've done it means that people are thinking like, I want to get this money, you know? Yeah, so it's yeah. like the carrot rather than the stick. Um, and that's, that's, that's worked in, in the, um, it's been running for eight years now. And in that time, they've never had a single developer fill out that last box, you know? Um, so that's, that's really helped um, the, the, the local communities, um, game development community in Australia, like their understanding of an appreciation for, accessibility so that, that's, that's the kind of thing um, that I think um, could be really successful as well that's other places as well is there equivalent in the UK so no equivalent there? Um, not really funding bodies there's a, a European funding body um, which um, did implement a, like a small form of that um, but I don't think that's that, um, any longer applicable um, what yes. the UK does have is um, tax relief um, okay. So basically, um, game studios can apply for a discount on their on their company tax. Um, so I think that would be that would be good good potential avenue, um, including that kind of thing in in the application for the tax relief. Definitely, yeah, and um, you know, politics can have a good impact, right? If it's if the government itself implements the right actions and the right changes, and it would be really nice to see like you're saying, sort of funding bodies in the UK to to fund and help game developers and in the entertainment industry to implement these accessibility features. Are there any other kind of um, in, any other kind of actions you would like the UK government perhaps to take or implement new? No, there was one recently. There was a, a um, all-party parliamentary group for. Um, Oh, which one was it? Either motor neurone disease or, or muscular dystrophy. Um, okay. I can't remember which one. That's terrible. But one of those, anyway. <laughs> so they, um, they, I think it's muscular dystrophy. Um, yeah. yeah. So the APBG for that, um, they held a session um, with the main advocacy group um, who identified that there were significant accessibility problems, and um, representatives from a few of the big um, gaming companies. So there's like Xbox and PlayStation and stuff there. Um, so that's that's a powerful role um, that the government can play is in the, 
the clout it has to make that kind of stuff happen, you know? Because yeah. if like that, if that advocacy body had just got in touch with um, Xbox and PlayStation saying, we want to have a meeting, like that's a whole different thing to the government saying, we want you all to sit in the room together and have a chat. You know? yeah. And there's really good. Um, so the advocacy group left, um, left reassured that the stuff was being done and um, the companies left with new relationships um, with the people that were there, um, both the disabled people in the room and the advocacy group. So it was, it was, it was a win on all counts. Um, so I'm, I'm very much interested in those kind of non-legislative ways that government can help, um, whether it's those kind of things, whether it's through um, carrying out research. Um, so uh, Penny Morgan, um, she carried out a bunch of um, re- research with um, like focus groups with young disabled people um, looking at um, what the kind of um, biggest barriers they faced in their lives were to see if they could identify any um, any industries that um, needed to do a better job of supporting them. And um, number one top out of that was was actually gaming. Um, so it wasn't accessibility, it was actually representation. So that was the, that was the biggest barrier they, they felt they faced in their lives um, above like representation in fashion, above like transport and housing and all this kind of stuff was lack of um, disabled characters on the screen um, in video games, um, which is quite a finding, right? Um, so, so, so all these kind of things, like I said, non-legislative ways um, that, that governments can support, even even just just showing backing, you know. If so, a similar thing happened with um, web accessibility. There was a standard that was published on basically a guide for management. So rather than people actually implementing things, a guide for management on how they should think about accessibility. So like, what kind of things they should take in mind when they're hiring a company like what kind of questions to ask them, that kind of stuff, and like how to build a team and who, should, who to assign responsibility, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and that isn't required by law, um, but the government gave their support for it. So if it just says something like, this is this is supported by government, then that gives it quite a bit of clout, you know? Yeah, it goes a long way. And like you're saying, with the parliamentary committees, it facilitates cooperation and people talk to each other and then you can... Even if a decision is not made in the committee itself, when you when say the MPs or the the groups that have been talking leave, they can then talk and they can implement new actions on new projects, and that's always a positive thing. And I think government can, well, not just government, but any kind of politics in in Parliament can act as sort of a mediator, like a a body to facilitate that kind of cooperation. And I think that's what a lot of people forget about politics, and they think it's all nasty, which it can be, but it doesn't have to be sometimes, and it can involve cooperation. And, and yeah, exactly. it's not just about the thing coming down; it's about the facilitation and the encouragement and the exactly. backing. Exactly, and it, it, and getting back in is a great thing. Right? It's it's really good. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Um, thank, thank you for. Uh, you know, telling us what you do and explaining. And um, it just shows that there's fantastic people in the industry like yourself making change for people's lives. And, you know, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really good. Yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's nice, to be, nice to be involved in something, especially in, in, in the world as it is at the moment, being able to see that there is something that is moving squarely in a good direction. You know? Exactly, exactly. And thank you so much for coming on and telling us about it. Thank you.